Today on the Tech Reset Show, we have Dr. Nidhi Gupta. She is an author, physician, TEDx speaker, founder of the Freedom Foundation, and she brings a wealth of experience on how technology is impacting families, individuals, teens, kids, and society in general. Without further ado, please welcome Dr. Gupta. Thank you, Forrest. It's a pleasure to be here today. Before we jump in, we like to start with a question. What's something tech-related that a habit that you have that you wish you could improve? I wish I did not have to rely on the calendar in my phone. I wish I could go back to using an old-fashioned paper calendar or a diary calendar. But I have so many different calendars, work calendar, clinic calendar, patient calendar, school calendar. It's just easier to use it on my phone, but I do spend a little more time than I should on my calendar. You know, it's so interesting you say that. I was just speaking with my son. He's nine and he has a a paper calendar on his wall, right? And he gets so excited about marking things off, whether it's a trip we're going to go on or some other thing at school. It's just precious seeing that pin on calendar and visually seeing it without getting the notifications. I, I appreciate that. I think there is something beautiful about using pen and paper. I made a transition, a big transition in my own tech usage almost a year and a half ago when I decided very intentionally to delete emails from my phone. So I deleted personal email and work-related email from my phone, and I stopped using notes to keep track of my to-do list. I got a little diary. Since then, I realized I don't feel the urge to go for my phone every few minutes. I check my emails once a day, and that has been just about fine for almost a year and a half. And the amount of peace it has brought to me on a daily basis is unimaginable for us. Yeah, well, that sounds very pleasant. I've done something similar with LinkedIn. I delete the app. You know, I find that it ends up resulting in more focused time, whether it's email or LinkedIn or or whatever you're doing. There's a scheduled time for it. You're focused on it. And it's not this micro time pulling. We have a lot to discuss and you have a very rich background. I think it would be helpful to give listeners just some context on your background. You're a pediatric endocrinologist and you're also an expert on digital wellness with families. It's a very interesting combo. So maybe share a little bit about your story. How'd you get here today? The story was interesting to me as well in in the way it evolved. I never thought that the path of a pediatric endocrinologist would cross with anything to do in digital wellness space. After 16 years of medical education, I was working at a major academic center in Tennessee as an attending physician as a pediatric endocrinologist, and I started noticing a disturbing trend. I was seeing patients in my clinic, children, little children, with obesity, prediabetes, diabetes, sleep disorders, behavioral health issues, and I did not have any endocrine medication for them. As I looked into it a little bit more, I realized that a lot of these issues were directly or indirectly related to the excessive amounts of screen time, not just by the children, but by their parents as well. So I started looking at it from a research perspective so that I could empower my patients with evidence-based knowledge so that they can change their attitudes and practices. And that research then led my path into the digital wellness space and led me to launch the educational platform Freedom Foundation, where we spell freedom with a PH instead of an F, PH indicating phone freedom. Now, just because the foundation is called or named Phone Freedom or Freedom Foundation, I don't want the listeners to walk away with the message that I'm anti-technology or I'm anti-smartphone. We are pro-balance. So it's about finding the right 
tools and skills for life technology balance. That's amazing. I love that. And on a future episode, we're going to go down a deep dive of pediatric endocrine and technology. But at a 50,000 foot view, I'm curious, do you feel that technology is causal for pediatric diabetes or is it impacting lifestyle once a child's been diagnosed with diabetes and ultimately how they're managing it? For us, from a very technical research standpoint, we will never be able to establish that any kind of behavior causes a certain disease. In order to do that, we'll have to design a very complicated randomized clinical trial where we split the study population into one group which has no access to smartphones and the other group which has complete access to smartphones. And then following that group over the course of the years to see if the first group develops diabetes and the second group does not develop diabetes or what happens. That kind of randomization is not practical with how ubiquitous our devices are. So we will be able to establish or we have been able to establish association between excessive screen time and certain health conditions, but we will not be able to establish causation. So in my research, what I have found is that excessive use of wireless mobile devices or screens leads to four or affects four major areas of our health. First one is obesity. A major study was published in New England Journal of Medicine that showed that by year 2030, so in only about seven years from now, 50% adults in the United States will have obesity. The second major health issue is sleep. Nine out of 10 Americans report using a technological device in the hour before bed. The more interactive the device is, the harder it is to fall asleep. And the harder it is to fall asleep, the next day it affects our mood, our productivity, and daily activities. The third area of health is mental health. Daily screen time, leisurely screen time. So when I say screen time, I'm not talking about the amount of time we spend on screens for schoolwork, for office work. I'm talking about discretionary screen time. More than two hours per day is associated with higher odds of anxiety, depression, and psychopathological symptoms. In fact, for us, the rate of death by suicide over the last 10 years has increased by 30% in excessive use of social media and devices seems to be playing a major role there. And the fourth and the last aspect of health, uh, which is more in the public space, is distracted driving. About 70% of crashes in a recent year in the United States were due to driver distraction. And we now also know that if we can all learn to drive without distractions, we might be able to avoid nearly 4 million of the 11 million crashes that happen in the United States every year. You know, that's fascinating. Let's dissect all of those a little bit more. So on the distracted driving, you know, one data point we were planning to try to look up, I don't know if it's there, is has technology decreased the amount of drunk driving accidents with teens under the theory that now they could have an Uber and they're less likely to drive under the influence? Or do we not? And you might not know, I don't don't mean to put you on the spot there. I, I don't know if we have that data, but that would be an interesting data point. Are there benefits of technology that are decreasing deaths in certain cases? And then in terms of the distracted driving, yeah, I mean, that's very, very scary. I can't tell you how many times at a stoplight I'm looking over and someone's on their phone or I'm driving and I can just tell someone's slowly stopping in front of me. It has become very obvious. You can tell the person in front of you or the person next to you is not focused on the road. And it takes microsecond of a distraction for a major accident to happen. Going back to your first question, I do not know the data off the top of my head, and I'm not sure if we have that data yet. But I also wondered how many teenagers are actually actively soliciting the help of Uber when they are 
not in a safe condition to drive versus how many teenagers who are sober and are driving on the streets with their cell phones. That percentage has got to be significantly different. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know the answer to that first question. That's something that we'll dig into and we can put it in the show notes if we find it before this airs. It's interesting in terms of the distracted driving. I think many folks don't realize that in, in it's state specific, but in a lot of states, it's illegal to check your phone at a stoplight. People think I'm stopped, whether it's a stop sign or stoplight, but you're still in control of the vehicles. I think the majority of states that's illegal. And so, you know, outside of just the distraction and the dangers, possibly getting a ticket and having that compound that could be very disruptive to, to your lifestyle. Sleep is a huge one. We talk about that a lot for, I mean, for adults, for teens. I think it's fairly accepted now. Everyone understands the research of how important sleep is on so many different levels. If you're an athlete, muscle atrophy and muscle recovery. If you're anyone else, not an athlete, focus and just recharging the system, immunity, et cetera. We're finding in our data with teens in particular, it's fascinating. You know, something like 90% are scrolling right before bed. But north of 25, 30%, depending on the school, are waking up in the middle of the night to check notifications. Our research shows that's even worse. Like ideally, you cut both back. If you're waking up, if you're interrupting that REM sleep in the middle of the night to check a notification that you don't need to check, that completely is throwing off your sleep rhythm and could cause many, many different compounding health impacts. I think in a future episode, we'll dive in a little bit more to the obesity side because that's going to fall a little bit more into the endocrine conversation probably. So maybe we'll table that. Taking a step back though, just identifying phone addiction. How do you define that? Maybe let's talk about the trigger loops. What is it? You know, I think everyone, I think the word addiction people think about in different lenses. So I'd love to hear your perspective. How do you think about defining phone addiction? There is a spectrum of when it comes to our relationship with our devices. And I say relationship because we are in a relationship with our devices. The devices are tied to us. They are an extension of our body and our mind, and they are with us on us 24-7. So we are in, essentially in a relationship with our devices. And when I talk about the spectrum of that relationship, on one end of the spectrum is wireless mobile device use. Then and in that category, you could think about using the device as a tool to increase efficiency, to increase productivity, to further your mission, or to truly stay connected with family and friends who you don't see in person very often. And the second step in that spectrum is wireless mobile device overuse. Then it goes on to dependency, and then it goes into addiction, wireless mobile device addiction. For us, there are several uh, smartphone addiction scales that have been published in the medical literature and outside of medical literature that can help anyone figure out where on the scale they lie. Now, why are we dealing with this situation? and What is triggering us to reach for our devices almost 200 to 250 times a day? And I'll take the example of two situations that we just talked about. One, coming to the stop sign and reaching for our phone. And two, the urge to check for notifications in the middle of the night. What is it about our devices? What is it about those notifications that we have that irresistible urge to constantly check? And the answer to that, probably what we know from the world of psychology, lies in a neurotransmitter called dopamine. Dopamine is an anticipation hormone. It is released in the brain in response to anticipation of anything that we perceive as pleasurable. Could be sugar, salt, fat, Spice, notifications, right? Every time there is a cue of that notification, a ding, a buzz, a shine, a flashing of the screen, the dopamine level in our brain spikes high and it causes an intense craving. 
Now, in response to that craving, over time, our subconscious response has been to reach for our device right away to check what did we get. And when we check, we find a reward there in that device. That reward could look like a new message, a new post, a new like, a new email, a new comment, something that makes us feel good, something that makes us feel validated. Over time, our brain starts associating each reward with the cue and each cue with the reward. So whenever we get a reward, we can't wait for the next cue. Whenever there is a cue, we must find out. We must drop everything and find out what is the reward that is waiting for us in the device. Now, over time, things have gotten pretty out of hand where even if there is no notification, we still check our devices just to see if we missed a notification. We keep scrolling our screens with social media, with the infinite scrolling, we will always find something new to look at. With emails, we keep refreshing our emails and something will pop up and then our brain tells us, see, there was a reward waiting for you. You should have checked sooner. So I call this the trigger loop of wireless mobile devices, which begins with a cue, goes on to the craving, leads to the response, finding the reward, and then the cycle repeats over. That's fascinating. Several comments, you know, and it's interesting, the quick gratification cycle, that's exactly how slot machines are designed, right? The programs aren't designed to wait three hours to show you a reward. You want to have these baby rewards in hopes of keep getting baby rewards, keep getting that dopamine and that thought of striking big. It's fascinating. And, and a lot of uh, social networks, they, they design it with very similar methodology as casinos. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, the dopamine, it makes us feel good in the short term, but would you agree that in the long term, ultimately, overuse creates this void and this loneliness. Dopamine makes us feel good in the short term. It is one of those hormones that lasts in our system for a very short period of time. So only for about three to five minutes. So it's instant gratification and then it's gone out of the system. But dopamine is addictive and it's very addictive. So once we start getting used to getting those quick hits of pleasure, however that might be, alcohol, drugs, smoking, notifications, gambling, shopping, video gaming, over time, we want more of it. The threshold for pleasure in human mind keeps rising. Over time, the same level of stimulation is just not enough to get the same level of pleasure. And then the human mind wants or needs something bigger to get the same level of kick. From some of the studies that have been done in adolescents who spent a significant amount of time on video game gaming, the concept of anhedonia came about. Hedonia is pleasure. Anhedonia is of a reduced capacity to experience pleasure. So the researchers in that study found that adolescents who spend a significant amount of time on video games or screens in general, over time they became desensitized to the pleasures of the content that they were consuming, and then they had to turn to something else which had more stimulation to get the same level of gratification. And that is where the concern for drug abuse and porn came about. Habitual wireless mobile device user can quickly get bored of the same content that they're watching and the content developers know this. So they spend lots of time backed by millions of dollars to develop content that keeps the users coming back for more. That might be content that is novel, violent, adventurous, malicious, or sexual. So the concept of anhedonia and dopamine play a big role in nurturing the addiction or dependency to wireless mobile devices or the content that we access on wireless mobile devices. Yeah, and even if you don't have social media, though, you, to your point, you still have that same experience with refreshing email, refreshing email and hoping that something arrives, right? Or 
checking some random search on Google or YouTube. Yeah, it, it reinforces that that habit, that behavior. So it's important for us to develop that insight. What is it that my wireless device is doing to me? Is it controlling me? Is it consuming me? Or am I in control of my life? What is it about my device that makes me keep going back to it so frequently? And can I take that functionality out of my device and move it to something else? So do you think part of this is that humans are very uncomfortable with being bored? Humans... Yes, absolutely. Humans are very uncomfortable being bored. And with the way entertainment is so readily available to us, there is no reason to be bored. And it's important for us to allow some time to be bored because boredom leads to curiosity and then curiosity leads to innovation. So by not allowing any time for boredom, we are killing the potential for innovation. Yeah, and even outside of innovation, I believe that being bored helps recharge neural pathways, right? Like the brain's a muscle. So, you know, you can't work out in the gym 24 hours a day. That's not good. It's not good for your muscle development. Same with the brain. The brain needs to have downtime where it's not stimulated. It, would you agree? I completely agree. But the problem is the way our lifestyle has now changed, thanks to the wireless mobile devices, whenever there is that moment of boredom, we reach for our device. And our mind tells us, this is my me time. This is the time when I can scroll mindlessly. This is my downtime. I have earned this. After a long day at work or with kids, I'm in bed. I just need some time where I can zone out. Not realizing that in that process, they're actually hyper-stimulating their brain and it has no time to reset. No, 100%. And one habit that we find is that individuals go in with an intention of, I'm only going to spend 20 minutes with this downtime, but then that spirals into two hours. It's very easy to lose track of time, Forrest. This episode is brought to you by Camplight. Camplight helps parents navigate raising kids in a world shaped by technology. They take a very pragmatic approach to look at the great, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so parents have a supportive community and expert-led content on topics ranging from screens to learning apps, video games to social media, bullying to AI, and everything in between. Now, I'm a firm believer that this is the parenting challenge of our time, but it doesn't have to be scary. Please visit camplight.com to learn more. So how do you feel this has evolved over the last, I guess we could look at five years and 10 years? I think COVID had a massive impact on how we use devices, how we use technology. But even going back further, have you seen any interesting trends in the research over the you know, last 10-year time frame? The first smartphone was launched in 2007. I mean, there were smartphones before that as well, but Apple's first iPhone was launched in 2007. And with how friendly its user interface was, it completely changed the way telecommunication happened since then. So that's only about 15 years or so. The research related to wireless mobile devices and how does it impact our physical and mental health is not as much as yet. Compared to alcohol and drugs and smoking, which have been around for centuries, and we know a whole lot more about them, smartphones have been around for only a decade, effectively. Research has now started accumulating more so in the last five years. And it's interesting to note that a lot of research papers are coming from China, Japan, Korea, and Malaysia. I still have to figure out why that is the case. Without any doubt, we have been able to establish through research the association between excessive screen time and obesity sleep disorder, and mental health issues. There is now more and more research that is showing that it is also affecting 
the increased incidence of myopia in children, short-sightedness, more issues with spine problems, back problems, shoulder, elbow, wrist, thumbs, lower back. There are some disorders with the skin as well. So we are gathering momentum as far as research is concerned in finding the effects of devices and screen time on our health in general. That's fascinating. So moving on, how do you feel technology impacts the home? Let's talk about the family dynamics. And this doesn't have to be kids or teens in particular, but family relationships, things going on inside of the dwelling. When we talk about screen time, it's unfortunate for us that we often think that the issue of screen time is limited to children. And the research that we have accumulated in the last 10 years also focuses on children. We have not been inclined or motivated to look at the impact of screen time on adults. How does it impact their relationship? If I was to ask you what happens to the brain of a child when they see their parent on their phone in the living room, what would you say? How does that child feel? I'd say it depends on the age. And I think at a very young age, they're modeling that behavior and they're learning that that's acceptable behavior. And possibly at a teenager-ish age, they're feeling less connected. Less connected. They're probably feeling a little bit ignored and a little bit disrespected that their parent is busy with something else that is more interesting than them. And when, when we talk about little children, when they see their parents engage with their devices in the hopes that their parents would engage with them and they're not getting that attention, these children have attention deficit because they need the attention, they're not getting it, so they have attention deficit. Of course they have attention deficit, but do they have ADHD? That's a different question. In the last five to six years, the diagnosis of ADHD has increased significantly. And I often wonder if these children have genuine attention deficit or do they have true ADHD? But that's a question that is up for a lot of discussion. The other thing to think about is there are several changes that can be made in the home's digital environment to nurture the digital wellness of the entire family. But parents have to lead those efforts. Parents have to gain a better insight into their own relationship with their devices before they can ask the children to put their devices away. I often get asked, what is the right age to introduce the smartphone to a child? And there is no one answer fits all in this situation. There are several guidelines out there. One of them says wait till eight, which means wait till the child is in eighth grade before you introduce the smartphone to them. The way I counsel parents who ask me this question is, let's determine your child's temperament in general, their motivation, their ability to be disciplined before they have had a smartphone, their impulse control. Are they somebody with low self-esteem? Do they have a tendency to be bored? Are they a procrastinating? Are they of a procrastinating personality in general? If yes, if your child is already struggling in these areas, if even before they have been given access to a smartphone, then the introduction of smartphone might exaggerate a lot of these personality traits. Introduction of a smartphone before the age 13 was noted to increase the risk for psychiatric conditions and increase the risk for the need for psychiatric medications versus introduction of the phone after age 14. But that does not mean that all 14 and 15-year-old children are ready for a smartphone. It's a very individualized decision that all families must make. 
Yeah, we agree. And you know, as a company, we we differentiate between, and we get this question daily, right? We differentiate between the age for social media versus the age for a smartphone. Because a lot of it depends what you're also, I agree with you completely. It's very specific on not only the child, but the family and the community dynamics. But I think it also depends what they're doing on the smartphone. We had a recent parent we worked closely with and their son is a photography advocate and learning video production. And that's a really interesting use because there's some phenomenal tools and digital photography and editing software that they're able to do on the fly on their phone or their tablet. And they have zero interest in social media or YouTube or anything else. That's a different story. So I think another question we ask is, what's the intent? What do they want to use the phone for? Is it connection with friends? Is it being back in touch with family? Is it research? Is it school? Is it creative? Is it social? Is it just to keep up with the Joneses? So I think that's another important question, what the intent is of it. I think one, I'm curious your opinion, one I'll call it a mistake that many parents make is they focus so much on the age of when to get a phone and whatever that is, whether that's third grade or ninth grade or 12th grade. And then whenever they determine that is the appropriate age for their family, they just give the phone and there's no communication after that. And I think there's so much that needs to be discussed before the phone on setting boundaries and setting appropriate behavior and teaching proper communication that many parents, not to their fault, but they just forget that most important step. Would you agree? I agree completely. It's like introducing a child to driving. You just don't give the child the keys to the car and let them go have fun, right? They have to go through driving. They have to show they can use it safely before they are allowed to drive by themselves. In a lot of senses, introduction of a smartphone with or without social media has a role to play. It's very similar to driving. One other thing to keep in mind when it comes to the development of adolescent brain forest is the prefrontal cortex, which controls a lot of executive functioning skills, is not fully developed until the early 20s. The exact, some of the executive functioning skills are impulse control, sustained attention, task initiation, organization, and emotional regulation. These are not fully developed in adolescence, and we are giving them a device that challenges all of these executive functioning skills. So we are giving them a device which is challenging them, but their brain is not fully developed to be challenged. It's just not a fair fight. Interesting. So are you saying that technology and phones negatively impact the development of the prefrontal cortex, or that because the prefrontal cortex isn't developed, they don't have the capacity to process a phone in a responsible way. The second one, because the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed, expecting a child to be on social media for only a certain amount of time and not get sucked into it, expecting them to have impulse control in what websites they are visiting, how much time they are spending on video game is just not a fair fight. And the content that is being developed by brilliant researchers who know a lot about psychology and reverse psychology, so pitching a child's willpower against the brilliant content developers doesn't create a good situation for the child. Do you feel that that's a good learning opportunity? So whether it's on a phone or whether we're talking video games or whatever it is, but to teach those discipline tool sets, right? So, you know, look, we're going to have fun for whatever it is, 60 minutes or 30 minutes on this innocent video game, but then we need to have balances. Is that a good approach to kind of teach at an early age that balance and try to train that discipline? 
I think education is key here, educating, 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 telling them that it's not about not ever being on social media. It's not about never playing video games. It's about setting boundaries. It's about making sure that the child and the parents themselves in their own lives are making time for everything that needs to be done within the 24 hours. I often give the example of a 24-hour bucket. Imagine that our 24 hours are represented by a bucket. What do we put in our bucket? We typically put eight hours of sleep, nine hours of work, a couple hours of chores, meals, driving to work, from work, one hour of exercise, and so on and so forth. Generally, with those activities, the 24-hour bucket is full. An average person spends about three to five hours of leisurely screen time within a given day. Imagine if we had to squeeze in three to five hours of that leisurely time into that bucket, the day is not going to become 27 or 30 hours long, but something from that bucket might leak. What leaked? Did we make time for that screen time at the expense of sleep or at the expense of exercise? How did we make that time? What did we let go? That will determine the course of our health and life. No, I love that. And, you know, video games in particular, I think there's some very healthy uses of video games that are, you know, assuming that the content is appropriate. I think there's also some great connection you could have with a family playing Mario Kart or whatever it is, but of course, all within reason, within balance and making sure that it's not cannibalizing other responsibilities. What are some tips and kind of real life strategies you have for parents to improve dynamics within the home? We've already touched on some of those, but is there any other takeaways our listeners might be able to get? There are so many strategies that can be used at home that can be put into practice in real life to achieve life technology balance. And as I say some of these strategies, the gut reflex might be, oh, I've already heard that. Oh, I already know that. What's a big deal? So I invite the listeners to listen to these strategies as if they are hearing this for the first time with the new knowledge that they have gained in the last 30 minutes of our discussion and a better understanding, I hope, of the neuropsychiatry of the dependency on wireless mobile devices. So for bedtime, in order to optimize bedtime, I often recommend using an old-fashioned, simple, digital alarm clock instead of using the smartphone as an alarm. How does that help when we use our phones as an alarm clock? We are constantly looking at them up until the last minute before we go to bed and we are checking them the first thing in the morning. And soon as we wake up in the morning, it is our time to relax. It is our private time. We don't have to invite the whole entire wide world into our personal private time first thing in the morning. So using the alarm clock helps us maintain the, the sacredness of at least 30 minutes before bedtime and at least 30 minutes first thing in the morning. I also recommend removing all screens and charging stations from the bedroom, trying to turn off the wireless mobile devices at least 30 minutes, if possible, at least an hour before bedtime. The changes will be unimaginable. The sleep quality will be exceptional and you will have much better energy and enthusiasm and some peace and joy the next day. Then in order to optimize meal times, I highly recommend the devices should not be part of the table setting during meals. This is true for meals that happen at home and outside of home. And this is true for children and adults as well. I also recommend putting a basket somewhere in the center area of the house, which 
holds everybody's devices for maybe 30 to 60 to 90 minutes, depending on how motivated you are feeling and calling that green time instead of screen time. So encouraging more green time, going out and being with the nature, hugging the trees, listening to the sounds of the birds and feeling the, the rustle of the leaves and feeling the wind in your face. It will reset our brain unlike anything else. So these are some of the very basic, simple strategies that are easy to implement, does not require motivation, does not require self-control, does not require discipline, only requires environmental changes and the results are instant. No, I love that. And on the bedroom, I'll never forget. So our late co-founder, Levi Felix, he told me in 2012, and this changed my perspective on the bedroom, he said, look, Forrest, the bedroom is for sleep and recharge, intimacy and peace. And you don't want to convolute that sacred space with screens and technology. And absolutely. If you make those changes, your marriage will be better. Your health will be better. You'll be really, really grateful. And it's an easy change to make. There's plenty of other spaces in the house that you could have screens. Don't make the bedroom one of them. Well, this has been wonderful. How can people keep in touch and up to date with, with what you're doing? Yes, the easiest way to connect with us is through our website, www.reconnect.expert. You can fill out the contact us form and we'll get back to them as soon as we can. They are also welcome to email us at connect at freedom.net. So C-O-N-N-E-C-D, connect at freedom.net. That's great. And, you know, before we wrap up, two things. One, in September, you just wrapped up one of your retreats. We'd love to hear how that went. What was the setup? What was some of the feedback from uh, the attendees? The retreat was a digital reset retreat, unplug to reconnect retreat for families to simplify childhood through nature and time without distraction. That was the mission of the retreat, to simplify childhood through nature and time without distractions. We had about 10 families that attended the retreat. The retreat was hosted at a beautiful state park, Natchez Trail State Park, about 100 miles west of Nashville here in Tennessee. Each family had their own private cabin. We had multiple activities throughout the retreat. We requested the attendees of the retreat to turn off their devices for the entire duration of the retreat. And what I found surprising was that there was no resistance to doing this. The attendees were unplugged for about 40 hours from Friday evening up until Sunday morning. And Sunday morning, I led the Tweak Your Tech workshop during which I wanted the attendees to bring out their smartphones. Nobody wanted to turn their smartphones on. Their question was, the unanimous question was, do we need to bring that noise back into our life? So after they got over that barrier, we did the Tweak Your Tech workshop during which I led the attendees into making certain changes into their phones so that they take a phone home that is a tool and not a 24-7 source of distraction and entertainment. We did several workshops educating about why might the content on devices be addictive, how does it impact our health and well-being, what are the strategies for like technology balance. We had rock painting, we had uh, night sky viewing through the telescope, the park had beautiful lakes, there were opportunities for boating, hiking, biking, and the weather was perfect. It was transformational for us. We can't well, wait to do it again next year. Well, I'll have to join that next one. That sounds wonderful. And it brings me back to campgrounded days with digital detox and retreats. That, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you did that. And thanks for everything you're doing for the space. 
So before we wrap up, one question we like to end with, what's a, a hobby that's unrelated to tech that you wish you could spend a little bit more time on? At this time, I am practicing yoga about three times a week. I wish I could do it more. I also have a passion for playing badminton, and I wish I could make more time for badminton. Well, there's always opportunity. So more yoga and more badminton. That sounds really, really nice. Well, Dr. Gupta, thanks so much for joining today. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation and we can't wait to have you back on the show. Thank you, Fornos. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tech Reset Show. Tech Reset is brought to you by Digital Detox, who helps people in over 80 countries improve tech life balance and in partnership with Camplight, helping parents navigate raising kids in a world shaped by technology. We appreciate your support and we'll see you again soon.